All right, thank you, Heather. <clears throat> and uh, thank you all for being here today. Uh, I am Tim Patrick, as she said. I am part of the spiritual leadership team here at the church and uh, have stepped in to help lead the church while we're in transition. Um, right now, currently, we're in the midst of studying the old book of Nehemiah from the um, Old Testament. And we're in week two of that series. Last week, Ryan Chasen uh, introduced the book and um, covered the first two chapters and provided a couple observations and challenges. The first one was that uh, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And secondly, he said, and where our deepest desire meets God's need is where our great task may be hidden. Today's topic is the building of the wall, the challenges that were faced by the people, and the hope that a new wall provided to the people of Jerusalem, God's people. There's a little bit of background I would like to cover, though, before we get started. Um, first of all, Nehemiah was deeply anguished over the news from his brother that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins and they were in disgrace. And he wept and prayed for months. Secondly, when given the opportunity to address the need, Nehemiah took the opportunity to act by, first of all, asking the king to be sent Secondly, asking him for letters to, be, to permit travel, and then, in addition, he asked for supplies. And he was given them. So here in the end of chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up. Nehemiah had been in Jerusalem for several days, and on the third night, he and a couple others went out to inspect the walls. And upon their return, he gathered the people of the city together. And in verse 2.17, he says the following, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. The people of Jerusalem re agreed and responded, Let us start building. Let us begin this good work. And immediately, Sanblat, Balat, Tobiah, and Geshem challenged the people of Jerusalem and the project through ridicule and mockery, saying, What is this you are doing? And are you rebelling against the king? Sambalat, whose name actually means sin has given life, and his companions were representing the surrounding community in which Jerusalem was set. And they had been taking advantage of, of the fact that Jerusalem, the city of God, was in ruins, had no protection. You see, Nehemiah responded to the challenge with the following. The God of heaven will give us success, and you have no part in it. We need to look at this a little deeper in the differences in the two perspectives. First and foremost, Sanballat and his boys were interested in their own agenda, and having the city of God rebuilt and strong represented a clear and opposing threat to their way of life and their self-centeredness. That's why they started to attack. Nehemiah, on the other hand, had this task pressed into his heart and was doing this good work for the glory of God and for the Jewish people, his people. Pride versus humility, dark versus light. We are told in Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, in his heart, Nehemiah was a servant. He was following what God had put on his heart to accomplish. 
for others. He was a cupbearer for the king after all and was threatened with death every day as he tested wine and other things for the king. I don't think that a couple of threats from some people was a big deal to him. You see, also a wall with functional gates around the city during those times meant many things to its inhabitants. At the very least, it provided security, freeing the people from living in fear of being overrun. It also provided a sense of hope. And this particular wall, in addition, would provide protection for the temple of God. See, I don't know about you, but every time that I have stepped out into a task for the Lord, I have come under attack from the enemy. And those attacks can come from anywhere and everywhere, just so it can stop. Let's remember that there is no task for the Lord that is less important than any other. They're all important. We are to be working for God's glory in all that we do, no matter how great or small the task is, because it matters to God and to his people. See, we are called to be salt and light. A holy life will leave the deepest of impressions. And frankly, a lighthouse blows no horns. They only shine. See, I've also come to know that and understand that doing a good work for the Lord requires help from others. In the case of Nehemiah, he got the people of the city and from surrounding towns to come and help with the rebuild. The people identified that came from outside the walls were Jewish as well. They came from places like Jericho and Judah and other towns. Can you imagine if he tried to do all that by himself? You see, we are no different in that we need to help one another. And we may, in fact, may be the ones that need help. Nehemiah chapter 3 provides a listing of the people that were involved in the rebuilding project, as you can see over here on the screens. There were many people involved. And please note that the list includes priests, officials, artisans, business folks, and a whole host of others. The list in all includes some 38 individuals and 42 different groups. And I would submit that there were many, many more that worked on the effort as well that are not identified. Imagine for a moment what the city wall and the surrounding areas looked like. People moving about doing their part. Paths trod repeatedly. A kind of rhythm and pattern developing with each person or group setting into their role and doing their part and moving in the rhythms of the work like a body. The body of Christ, perhaps. You see, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. See, in order for us to have this service today, there are many folks that are at work to make it happen. The praise band who we just heard, the Next Generation Student Ministries that are dealing with your kids downstairs, the children's ministry itself, and other ministries functions well because the lives of those of us that are here today matter to God. And frankly, they matter to us as well. See, we are here to serve the Lord and bring glory to his name. Seen or unseen, big or small, it doesn't matter. 
What is vital is that no matter what we do, whether word or in deed, we do it to the glory of God. The body of Christ in action is really awesome, and frankly, it's wonderful to see. You see, Nehemiah had organized the people. He had assigned their tasks, as identified by the chart. He has the supplies, either he brought with them, or they were just the remnants from the demise of the wall itself. And he had the stuff to build the gates. The people were stepping out, and they were getting after it. They were getting work done. They were unified in their effort, purpose, and focus. See, Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God had put this task on Nehemiah's heart. Notice that this task required that others do the tasks that they were called to do as well. And frankly, we are no different. But the only question is, is are we doing what God has called us to do or not? Individually or collectively. You see, Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem were all in on the task to rebuild the wall. Well, not all of them, frankly. But maybe like you, maybe like me, you wonder... Why in the world did it take someone else to come in and lead the effort? It is evident that there was a desire to get the walls rebuilt by the response of the people to take the task on. There was a definite energy in the city, uh, potential energy, I might suggest. You see, potential energy is stored and can dissipate over time and really doesn't do any good unless it's unleashed. Kinetic energy is used to get things done through action. You see, a hammer doesn't really do a darn thing unless it's actually picked up and used to hit something. And let's take light as another example. Who in the world thought that light could cut steel? It can if it's coherent, working together in a thing called a laser. In a similar way, people unified in the spirit and focus can do wonderfully powerful things for the Lord like the building of the wall that is a couple miles long in just 52 days. We must understand and get our heads wrapped around a basic fact, though, that the devil is real and he wants to thwart the efforts of God. He is cunning and wily in his ways, and we are reminded in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, Be alert and sober of mind, Peter, or, yeah, Peter says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. You see, Nehemiah chapter 4 identifies multiple ways that the enemy, through Sanballat and the leaders of the surrounding communities, was trying to thwart the effort. Preceding each of these threats, we are told that the work of the wall had progressed and that the enemy of the Jews and God were upset. Their anger progressed from mocking interest to outright rage. In in chapter 4, verse 2, a series of questions were asked by Sambalat with derision in the presence of his cronies and an army to the Jews. 
What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish this in a day? You can almost hear the mockery. Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? In chapter 4, verse 8, we are told that the enemy plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. In chapter 4, verse 10, the people of Judah themselves started complaining that the strength of the laborers was giving out. There was so much rubble to move. In chapter 4, verse 11, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. That wasn't idle talk. It was real. And each and every time that the attacks came, Nehemiah responded in pretty much the same way. He prayed, first off. In verse 4, he prayed to the God of heaven after their mockery. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their head. In verse 9, he prayed, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet their threat. You see, his response to each of the plans of the devil was not just to pray. It was to take action. He first prayed and, con- and continued to work. He then posted armed men to guard the workers, and they kept on working. Finally, he armed everyone and had posted guards as well. They had spears, shields, bows, and armor. And they kept on working. He even set up a kind of an alarm system where if the people heard the trumpet blow, mind you, the trumpeter was right next to Nehemiah all the time, that the people to rush, were to rush to the spot of danger, deal with the attack, and then frankly get back to work because they had a task to do and they weren't going to be dissuaded. Additionally, he organized a 24-7 guard He brought in the people from outside the walls into the city so that they could guard the city at night. But in addition to all that, he also encouraged the people by saying to them all, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. He also reminded the people that our God will fight for us. Now, I don't know a guy in here that wouldn't fight to the death for his family. That's what he was asking them to do. Not only for his family, but for the city. In addition to the threats from those outside, there were also issues to deal with internally. See, Nehemiah chapter 5 tells us that the poor of the city were being completely taken advantage of by their leaders. They needed grain to eat and to pay, and then they needed money to pay the associated taxes to the king. The poor were mortgaging their property. They were taking out loans from the people and even selling their children into slavery in order just to pay what they had to pay. Can you imagine doing that today? Selling your kid into slavery so that you could pay a bill? Another attack by the evil one. This one centered on selfishness and those in leadership completely taking advantage of their own people. 
See, Nehemiah got really angry. And then he collected himself to gain control of his emotions. And then he dealt with the problem immediately. He didn't let it fester. He dealt with it head on. Imagine that. What an example of leadership. Standing up for those that were being taken advantage of and taking those that were doing it to task. He made several appeals to the wrongdoers to expose their treachery and selfishness on several different basics. Basis. The fact that they were cheating their own people, they were commanded to love their neighbors. Using the scriptures, they were challenged by the Mosaic law that said you were not supposed to loan stuff to your brothers and take interest. Reminding them of their redemption and delivery from Egypt and Babylon. They were enslaving their own people, which is what they were delivered from, and yet they're doing it again. Their witness to their Gentile neighbors. What an example for God. And his own example. He lent out of his own stuff according to the law, charging no interest. And finally, the judgment of the Lord. You see, he then meted out the punishment to the people. In public, it wasn't done in private. They were to return what had been gained from outside the law, the people's fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their homes, and all of the interest on the money, oil, grain, and new wines. You see, Nehemiah didn't solve all of the issues that day, but he lessened the load on the poor, cleaned the slate of them to some degree, and corrected the wrongdoing of those in their midst and made them take an oath that they would not do it again. You see, in addition to his own loaning, he set himself up as another example. You see, evidently, Nehemiah was pretty wealthy. In the book, it tells us that he fed 150 people every day for 12 years. He slaughtered an ox every day and up to eight goats or sheep, in addition to everything else, and never asked for a penny, an animal, or anything from the people. He never used the food allowance that was allotted to him as a governor because he knew it would hurt the people. And he didn't take advantage of them either. In fact, he prays in the end that God will remember him and what he did for those people. And in Nehemiah 6, if that's not enough, as the wall was complete with the exception of the gates because they had not been set yet, Sambalat and his boys started to go after Nehemiah himself. And not the people. They left the people alone. They came after him. And there are three different instances that are identified. One is that they tried to lure him out to meet under false pretenses multiple times. Four, in fact. Actually, five. <clears throat> Slander is next in an open letter that indicates that Nehemiah is rebelling and will be named king. And the last is that there are folks coming to kill him. And that he should hide in the temple of God, which, if you weren't a priest, was a sin. And his responses to all of these threats are amazing and awesome. He first indicates to the first threat that he is carrying on a great work. And he will not leave. He asks, why should the work stop while I go to you? See, he knew what was going on. He then asks, secondly, 
he told them that they were making stuff up in response to the slander accusation. He then prayed that his hands would be strengthened to complete the task. And finally, in response to the third, he said, Should a man like me run away? Or should a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. You see, in our efforts, we need to realize that we will be persecuted in any number of ways and face trials of all kinds. And we must stand on the promises of God in order to defend against the wiles of the devil. Nehemiah knew that those three things were not of God. You see, Dr. Martin Luther King stated that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Jesus himself, when he was tempted, never gave in either. He stood firm on the word of God and resisted the devil in all of his temptations. Are we standing on the same rock? When we get pressed, is our character going to come out? No, it will. just depends on what shows. You see, God not only fought for the Jews, but he fights for us today. We are also reminded in Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against his spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we are encouraged, actually commanded by Paul, to put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand. And after we have done everything, to stand. The armor is for the protection of the children of God and even the body of Christ represented by this church. And realize this that the armor of God is placed on the front of the body. The kingdom of God is to advance, to move forward, to press on, even in the face of trial and tribulation, for his glory and the salvation of our souls. You see, God permitted the work on the wall under Nehemiah to continue all the way to completion even in the face of all the trials and temptations that were presented against him and the people doing the work. You see, God had called him to this task, and Nehemiah responded in a way that is captured in Isaiah 6, 8, where it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. See, Nehemiah's task wasn't about himself. It was about the restoration of the people of God. It was for the glory of God. It was about providing security, life, and hope to the people of Jerusalem. Once again, the city of God containing the temple of the Lord could shine brightly. 
You see, Nehemiah was called. He responded with action. And he went to where God was calling him to do this good work for his, repeat, for his people. To restore security, provide hope in the future. You see, God sent a follower of his, a follower of his to deliver his people out of oppression. He provided a way. Nehemiah embodied Philippians 3, 3 through 4. Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. He did not have to go. He chose to. And not for himself, but for others. What about you? Are you going and serving others for their benefit? For their restoration? For God's glory? Or for yourself? And as the band comes up, what about us as a church? Are we that shining city on a hill? Are we a beacon of hope in this dark world? Are we a place or a people that focus on the needs of others and not merely taking care of our own? Are we providing a place of hope and a future through the love of Jesus Christ to those that are not only here this morning, but are outside the walls of this building? Is the heartbeat of this body of Christ beating to the rhythm of the Lord's heart? If you're not a believer in Christ, I want you to know this. That God provided a way for you too. And his name is Jesus Christ. You see, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And not just any life. We are told in John 10, verses 10 through 11, that the thief comes only to steal and to destroy. This is Jesus speaking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He didn't come here for his own. He came here to seek and to save the lost. He came to save each and every single one of us, to give us hope and to give us a future. And I frankly pray that today is the day that you are going to come to the foot of the cross and ask Jesus into your heart. There's no more important decision that you could make than that. You see, that life, the full eternal life, is available right now to you if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nehemiah brought hope to a people. 
Jesus is our ultimate hope. And let us rest in him. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to serve you. I thank you, Lord, for your message. I thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, into this world to provide a way of hope. Lord, I pray that if there is anybody here today that they would come forward or bow their head and pray to accept you into their heart. Lord, be with us as a church as we go forward, advancing your kingdom, shining your light, raising the banner of victory because the king is here within us. Lord, let us walk in power, the power of you, our Lord and Savior. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.